no, 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 listening to this podcast first of all and also just for all the messages that I received in this past week after dropping the first couple episodes. Um, I really appreciate all the feedback and all the kind messages that people sent to me so thank you guys so much. Hopefully we can just improve this and keep it going and have a good time. I'm just here to please you guys so um, if you have any ideas about like movies that you think would be fun to spotlight or um, any ideas that you think could help me to improve this podcast, please don't be afraid to slide into my DMs um, at popcorn under the seat or just at Spock Me 17 either one's fine. And uh, let me know what you want to do. Got a super fun podcast lined up for you guys today. But first, I want to just talk about some stories of things that have happened in the past couple of days. Um, this morning, <laughs> this morning I was going to play pickleball, which Pickleball is super, super fun, but always it's just like, it's just me and three of my buddies going to play pickleball, and everyone else there is above the age of 80. Um, I don't know why that's worth mentioning, but it is. Um, So going to play pickleball, and my hair is, you know, past my shoulders, so going to work out, I usually put my hair up in a little bun, and... (laughs) For the Super Bowl, I wanted to look like Patrick Mahomes, so I bought one of those like headband things that you know some of the football players wear under their helmets, or that like Rafael Nadal wear when they play tennis. Uh, so I have one of those. So I'm going to play a pickleball. I'm in like shorts and a t-shirt and my hair in a bun with this little sweatband thing, and I walk into the gas station because I'm going to buy some water and Gatorade and practicing social distancing. I like having the mask on and everything, you know, I walk into the gas station and and get a couple things. And, uh, (laughs) the guy at the gas station just, he like, (laughs) he just looks at me and he just like smile. He's just like beaming from ear to ear. And I'm like, okay, this is a little weird, but Hey, how you doing, man? And he's like, Hey, uh, you know, that's gonna be five bucks or whatever. So I put it in my cart and he just looks up at me and he smiles and says, you know, you look exactly like Roger Fedorov, the tennis man. Dude, I'm 100% sure his name is Roger Federer and he's the best tennis player of all time. But just the way that he said it, like with the biggest, kindest smile on his face. And then the fact that he like said the tennis man as if like I didn't know who he was. Like, okay, I'm really not trying to make fun of this guy. But imagine if someone was like, hey, you kind of look like Tom Slady, you know, the football man. Like, it would be so funny if they were trying to talk about Tom Brady and they said it wrong. Or even just were trying to clarify to make sure that you knew who they're talking about. And instead of saying the best football player of all time, or even just as simple as the football player, there's just something about the way that he said the tennis man that I just couldn't get over. I don't know. It was just the funniest thing anyone's ever said to me. I cried laughing in the car as soon as I left. Obviously not trying to make fun of the guy, but just what a funny, silly mistake to make. So that was great. And now I'll forever think that I look like Roger Federov, the tennis man. <laughs> Another funny thing. So I'm not really... A horror movie guy I mean ever since Hereditary came out a couple years ago Ari Aster's first movie I've been trying to get myself into horror movies I did go see that one in the theater even though I'm a scaredy cat and I covered my eyes for most of it but since then I've been trying to like ease myself into different horror movies and I talked about us on the last pod and get out stuff like that um, some of the more popular ones So I've just kind of done this journey of like trying to dip my toes into horror movies. But my girlfriend, Maya, she really is not into horror movies and she's never really seen any of the classics or anything. Um, But she started to listen to this podcast where one of the podcast hosts is like her and is pretty afraid of horror movies. So the podcast host, he's going on a journey of going back and watching all of the classic horror movies in order to like help himself prepare to watch the horror movies of today. And so, you know, they're starting with with these 
movies that are classic horror movies. So <laughs> this week on their podcast, they talked about The Exorcist. And Maya listens to this podcast and she was like, hey, I can relate with this podcast host. And uh, I like this idea. And so she decided I'm going to watch The Exorcist and like I'm going to go on this journey with him and I'm going to learn how to watch horror movies. And so I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, I'll watch I'll watch horror movies with you. So, <laughs> so for anyone who doesn't know, you can t- you can pretty much tell from the name. But The Exorcist is a movie about a little girl that gets possessed by some kind of a devil or demon, and uh, a couple different fathers in the Catholic Church come to try to uh, do an exorcism and get the get the devil to come out. Yeah. Anyways, so <laughs> so my. <laughs> says to me before she's gonna watch the movie i i'm like about to leave her apartment and so she she like says to me she's like hey you know what the exorcist is is a perfect movie for me to start with because i don't believe in demons and all that shit like it's gonna be good for me to watch this because I'll, i'll feel removed from this since i don't believe in demons and all that stuff and i was like oh yeah great yeah that's really cool okay um tell me how you like it you know tell me how you feel and then you know she watches it and we meet back up later that that evening and we're like walking out the door to go on a walk. We've been talking for a while. I didn't like bring up the movie at all because we had already had a small discussion about it. And we're just like walking out the door and down, going down the stairs. And she's like, you know, I'm thinking about becoming a Catholic. <laughs> just completely unprovoked. And I was like, wait what why are you why are you thinking about becoming a catholic i did not put the two together at all and she's like i'm just kind of scared about being possessed (laughs) so (laughs) anyways i also watched the exorcist and it was my first time watching it i'd say it's about a six out of ten scary and it's close to an eight out of ten i think i gave it an 81 out of 100 um as far as like how much I enjoyed it and how good of a movie it is. So uh, if you are scared of horror movies or you haven't seen The Exorcist, maybe you can check it out. And uh, I mean, it's that it has some gross stuff in it. So that's notable. I don't know. Maybe you just look up the content before you watch it. But I don't want to like steal from their podcast. But I just thought that was a really funny story of Maya completely turning from like this is the perfect movie. I don't believe in any of that stuff anyways. I'll be fine to like seriously (laughs) considering a new faith. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe you guys won't think it's as funny as I do, but I just died. Oh, that's good stuff. Okay. So for today's pod, I want to start with the movie spotlight like we always do. And this week it's going to be the 2011 movie the Muppets, which is just fantastic. And uh, here I just want to give my spoiler and content warning because if we're going to be talking about the way that Kermit is dressed when him and Miss Piggy go on the date in The Muppets, I'm going to get raunchy. So uh, just letting you guys know that there's going to be you know some swear words and stuff. So look forward to that or uh, proceed with caution, I guess. Uh, after we talk about the Muppets, I have a guest coming on this week. That's my buddy Blake Lyman from Just A Bit Podcast. Um, he's coming on to talk a little bit about the Muppets and a little bit about um, Stanley Kubrick, specifically his movie Eyes Wide Shut. And we're going to break that down a little bit and then talk about some of our favorite uh, Kubrick movies. So uh, stay tuned for that interview. And then after that, I'm going to do a review of the new Netflix movie. I hope to at some point review new movies that are coming to theaters on this podcast, but uh, for the time being, theaters aren't going to open, so uh, it's just the Netflix movies. Um, I do think it's interesting to note that Netflix announced that all the movies that they're releasing in 2020, the calendar year, they've all finished like the filming stage. So they're all in post-production, meaning that all of the movies that they've announced are going to come out this year. Whereas other movies that were like slated for December and stuff, like the new movie with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and Adam Driver called The Last Duel, 
it might not come out that first week of January like it was supposed to because they're not able to run the production of it right now and film it right now. So that super sucks. It's different than that because Netflix, they've finished all their filming stuff. So that includes Spike Lee's new movie and um, David Fincher's new movie. So those are two movies that were pretty highly anticipated for me. And I'm just excited that we're going to be getting those for sure. Anyways, it was a small tangent. I'm going to be doing the review of the half of it, which is a PG-13 rom-com, but it's like so specific to the way that 2020 is. So I just want to kind of break that down and compare it a little bit to some of the high school movies that I love, that I hold so dear to my heart. Yeah, so stick around for that as well. I watch a lot of movies and I watched... Actually, I'm not even going to say how many I watched this week just because I don't want to self-incriminate. Um, really, I just don't want my mom to know how many movies I watched this week because I think she'd be like low-key a little disappointed <laughs> in my use of time. <laughs> anyway, sorry, mom. Um, I watched a lot of movies this week, but I can honestly say that the movie that I enjoyed the most thoroughly just from very beginning to very end was... The Muppets, the one that came out in 2011, starring Jason Segel and Amy Adams and Walter the Muppet. <laughs> I love this movie so much, and I have so many things that I want to hit on um, in the spotlight of this movie. But where I want to start is with Jason Segel. He's the star of the movie, and he also wrote the movie. Um, before this, Jason Segel had written one other screenplay, and that is the screenplay for the movie that is called Forgetting Sarah Marshall, a movie which he also starred in. And in the movie, there's a scene where he is completely naked, just full frontal, completely nude. There's not very many actors that are willing to do that. And so it was a big deal when that happened in the movie. Um, and so, I mean, after being on shows like Freaks and Geeks as a youngster and How I Met Your Mother and in movies like Forgetting Sarah Marshall, he Jason Siegel was obviously just associated with adult films and like films that were meant for people that were seeking, you know, rated R, more adult content. Um, and so it was really weird when he was, you know, and when it was announced that he was making this The Muppets movie uh, for families and for kids. And so... Um, there's actually a column on Wired, uh, Wired.com that's titled Jason Siegel, the unlikely hero behind the new Muppet movie. And the tagline that's on this um, article is, is Jason Siegel, the icon of full frontal raunch com, the best person to revive the beloved children's franchise? I mean, at this time, it was really weird to even consider the fact that, you know, Jason Siegel, this guy was going to write a kid's movie. Um, but... In an NPR interview, uh, Jason Siegel says that making the Muppets movie was, quote, a dream come true. I personally really love um, when actors or writers or directors or all the above take part in a passion project of sorts. When they take something that they really care about and they channel their energy into it because it almost always comes out a success. And it almost always comes out where you can really feel their passion. And The Muppets is no exception to this. You can really feel all throughout the movie, you can feel the same energy as the original Muppets movies. I'm talking about Muppets from Space. I'm talking about just the Muppets movie. I'm talking about what Muppets in New York, is that what it's called? Oh, The Muppets Take Manhattan. The style that they go about making this movie is right in line with the style of those classic, iconic, nostalgic Muppets movies. I think that that is part of why this movie works so well is because it doesn't try to like reinvent anything. It just follows the formula that worked so well for the classic Muppet movies. And it really just feels like it's Jason Siegel's love letter to the Muppet movies of old. Jason Siegel... In the off chance that you're listening to this, great screenplay, my guy. You really knocked it out of the park with this one. There are so many famous people in this movie. Um, there's a lot that come in towards the end of the movie just for like little cameos and stuff. 
especially during like the last concert that the Muppets are putting on, where they have just a bunch of celebrities like manning the phones of people calling in donations. They have like John Krasinski and Whoopi Goldberg and Neil Patrick Harris and a bunch of people that obviously are friends with either Amy Adams or Jason Siegel in real life and um, just came on to be part of the cameo at the end. But even in like other roles throughout the movie, like Childish Gambino, um, Donald Glover, he is just like one of the secretaries in the movie and he just has like a complete throwaway role. Same with Emily Blunt wearing just like this wild uh, <laughs> redhead wig with bangs. Like Emily Blunt is one of the best actors of her generation and she's just like in a throwaway role in the 2011 Muppets movie. I just love the poll that Jason and Se Jason Siegel and M Amy Adams had. Wow, that was a struggle. I just love the poll that Jason Siegel and Amy Adams both had in bringing in these people into just a really fun movie. Honestly, I just think it's, you know, just to have a good time because this movie is seriously so fun. And one of the most funny parts of this movie is just the music that's in it. From the very beginning, the song about life's a happy song when there's someone by your side to sing along to, you know, Amy Adams feeling lonely and singing about a party for one and <laughs> ending the song with just a classic, like completely acapella, just her alone in the restaurant and just singing at the top of her lungs that she's having a me party and what happens at a me party stays at a me party. Yay, yay, yay. I think this is this is peak Amy Adams for me. Just for some reason, I'm still not quite on board with her in more serious roles, but I love her in the Disney movie Enchanted. I think that she has the perfect energy to fit that role and going right along with that energy is her performance in, in The Muppets. Um, she plays Mary, who's dating Jason Siegel's Gary and... Um, feels like Gary's a little bit too obsessed with how his brother is feeling rather than how she's feeling and that, you know, he's focusing too much on... Well, I guess I haven't even talked about the premise of the movie, but if you haven't seen The Muppets, um, shame on you, first of all. But second of all, the the premise is just that Walter is a Muppet and Gary, his brother, is a man. Or at least that's what they that's what they look like. Um, and this movie really dives into these really complex um, ideas about identity and, and who we really are. But anyways, more surface level for now is Walter wants to get the Muppets back together. And the they go and visit Kermit and kind of find out that in order for the Muppets to keep their studio, they need to get the band, <laughs> the band, they need to get the crew all back together again and have one more show in order to make the money and, and buy back sort of, you know, their theater and come back into the spotlight. So Jason Siegel and Amy Adams and Walter the Muppet go with Kermit to get the crew back together again. And so Amy Adams feels like she's, you know, being overlooked by Jason Siegel, who's really just trying to figure out who he is and what he loves and who he loves and what his priorities are while Walter is trying to find out who he really is as a person. And so it's just it's just so much fun to see Amy Adams uh, performing like that and being almost like a jealous girlfriend. She just has a great role. Um, another great song is the one that comes kind of at the climax of the movie where Walter and Gary kind of have a a realization that maybe they can't be best friends and belong together anymore. And maybe life's not such a happy song when they're just trying to be together all the time because maybe they fit in different circles. And they kind of do <laughs> one of those musical-style songs where two people are singing the same song at once and kind of mirroring each other. And it's funny that I mentioned mirrors because mirrors are a huge uh, part of this song where... Jason Siegel is looking in the mirror and wondering, am I a man or am I a Muppet? And Walter's wondering, am I a Muppet or am I a man? And I just think that, of course, you can take it as symbolism and, and we're all just trying to figure out who we are. But 
it's just so easy to understand, especially with the visuals that they do where they get, you know, a Muppet that looks like Jason Siegel and an actor that looks like Walter the Muppet. And all four of them are singing together, trying to decide who they are. And, and you know, in the climax, they, they decide Walter I, I, sings, I'm a Muppet. And Jason Siegel, Jason Siegel sings, I'm a man. Um, it's just, it's just, I feel like every time I watch it, I just like have the biggest grin on my face because it's funny, but at the same time, it's deep and it's a great song. Uh, it's not just like laughable. Like I, I would listen to that song in the car. If it came on my shuffle, I would be like, oh, hell yeah, turn that shit up. I'm a Muppet of a man. So anyways, now you know a little bit more about my personal life. And obviously I have a struggle with uh, identities because I identify so much with that song. <laughs> about being a Muppet or a man. But hey, we don't want to get too much into my personal life on this pod. So I just want to quickly go over some of my favorite scenes in the movie. Uh, there's just like so many details in some of the scenes. Uh, I think, you know, obviously going to Kermit's house at the beginning of the movie is a big one just to see Kermit and hear his cute little voice again. And then he sings a little song about how he feels so sad and misses all of the the other Muppets as he looks at their pictures. I think it's just a really sweet moment when <laughs> Piggy and Kermit meet back up, like when they go back to, they do the whole montage scene, which is great uh, in and of itself um, and is another throwback to the classic uh, Muppet movies of old. And they also do driving on the map to get from destination to destination. All of that is just really fun and kind of a new version of the same old thing that we know anyways um, when piggy and kermit meet back up she says to him <laughs> kind of just like in a in a moment where you're not expecting it she says you never intended to marry me not even after i built us a house so we could raise tadpoles together i don't know why that just that line just like got me right in my funny bone because like it's miss piggy and kermit like how are the kids that they have together how is it going to be tadpoles <laughs> Maybe if you're like a kid that just you like miss that. But as an adult, as a 20, 23 year old watching it, that got me right in the funny bone. Miss um, Piggy first declines. She doesn't she says she doesn't want to come back. And then uh, she ends up coming back. And there's like another piggy that's there kind of standing in her place. And when she comes back, it like plays the music of a Western kind of something that they'd have in a gun showdown. Uh, I just think that's that that shit is so funny to me. Like it's such a good little detail of um, just adding in, you know, like your classic Western movie where maybe Picky would grab her guns from her pocket, but she's like walking slowly as if she's, you know, you can almost hear the spurs cl clicking as she walks. It's just it's just a great little detail. Um, I already talked about Amy Adams singing. Uh, party for one just such a hilarious moment and uh the bad guy who's played by chris cooper in just a crazy but hilarious role he can't laugh and so instead of like laughing evilly he just like says maniacal laugh every time he's like trying to laugh and it's so stupid but again it's just really funny and very creative the bad guy uh, his name's Tex Richmond. He also has two little Muppets that are his sidekicks. And there's a scene where he's he's fencing with the Muppet that looks like a bear. Uh, <laughs> I don't I don't know if he's a bear or not, but uh, it's not Fozzie. It's 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 another guy. And he just has like all of these super goofy things that he's saying to Tex Richmond as as they're fencing. And he's like, "Nicely done, sir. As usual. Ow. Okay. Very nice. Dope." Well done, sir. Thank you. As he's like getting beat with a sword and fencing, he's like, thank you. Thank you very much. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Tex Richmond says something douchey to him and, and walks off. And he just turns to the other Muppet. And he's just, <laughs> it's like just the funniest little little line before the transition to the next scene. And he just goes, so do you uh, think we're working for the bad guy? <laughs> <laughs> It's just funny that they added, you know, those Muppets who are who are so goofy. And even if it's just that their job is to bring a laugh to the movie, they really um, are able to do that. Wow, I can't believe it took me this long to get to this moment. My favorite part in the movie. Hands down. Okay, maybe not hands down. Besides, okay, my favorite part in the movie is Am I a Man or Am I a Muppet, the song. 
But my second favorite part in the movie is Miss Piggy and Kermit go on a date to like a really nice restaurant and Kermit shows up just looking like a fucking dog. Like he is, he's got a black turtleneck under a black jacket and he's just looking slim as all hell. Like he looks so handsome. He walked up and I was like, yo, where did Kermit buy this outfit from? Because like I actually want the next party that I go to, the next date that I take my on after quarantine is over, I want to look as fly as Kermit looks in that scene. Of course, they're like on their date, so it's an emotional scene where I think that's the scene that Miss Piggy is saying whatever about the tadpole quote. But um, I wasn't even focused on that because the whole time, like, I'm just eyes locked on Kermit's outfit. Anyways, uh, he was just looking fly as fuck, and I thought I wanted to mention that. Kermit, dude, you're a fashion icon, and I strive to be like you. So there we go. That was a big, long spotlight of the Muppets. But I hope that I can have more of these movie spotlights where I kind of dive in and almost do a review. Maybe maybe I just will do a review of them. I gave this movie a 91 out of 100, so this is the first movie that fits in the caramel corn section of my ratings. That's the very top tier. Um, this one's like on the low side. It's like a it's a low caramel corn, um, but nonetheless, it's just a wonderful movie. So definitely would recommend it. Now I'm going to kick it over to the interview that I had with Blake Lyman from Just A Bit Podcast. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Eyes Wide Shut, Stanley Kubrick, and we'll mention the Muppets as well. Today we're happy to have our guest, Blake Lyman from Just A Bit Podcast, joining us today to talk a little bit about Eyes Wide Shut and a couple other movies. Uh, Blake, how are we doing today, bud? Oh, Jeffrey, I'm good, man. Taking care of myself, staying to myself, wearing masks, etc. How are you doing? There we go. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for asking. Watching a lot of movies. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this week, this week actually on, on my pod, we're spotlighting the movie The Muppets, the 2011, oh. 2011 live action. And you didn't call me for that? <laughs> I think that is literally like my highest rated movie, 2011. I love that film so much. I think it Life, is. And Life's a happy song, man. It really <laughs> is. It really is. Yeah, I, I was looking on our little movie review uh, Google sheet that we have, and you rated it at 93, so... Oh, Go ahead, buddy. Speak your truth. Let's hear it. <laughs> I just, I like to, I mean, I'm not perfect to how this, but when I like analyze movies, I really want to be able to say that like I grade it on a scale of what it wants to do. Like the Muppets will never be as prestigious as some other dramas or some other movies that I've enjoyed throughout my life. It'll right. never be like my other favorite films, like Parada Parasite or Amadeus or whatever. It will never be like that. And that's right. fine. That's not what I want the Muppets to be. Muppets, kicks ass at being what it should be it made me laugh it made me feel good it was just a funny blend of stuff i don't know i love it i love all the human characters i love chris cooper in that movie he's phenomenal i love jason Siegel and i love all the muppets the my favorite line is when they pick up everybody in the montage and the dogs in the backseat <laughs> hey why, why didn't i get a montage <laughs> hey ralph you want to join the team oh well, sure i guess he's I like, it was pretty significant <laughs> i die every time He's just goofy, goofy <laughs> good humor jokes, man. I can watch it with the fam. And it, it still holds up to me as an adult, and I love it. Music also. Music's phenomenal. Absolutely. Such well good written. writing from Jason Siegel. I mean, what a, what a guy. Yeah, you could tell it was, I think, easiest way is it was made with love. Like, it was made with a lot of care that people wanted to do this and enjoyed the Muppets and, and what it's supposed to be. And so I think a lot of people enjoyed that. So this is, it was a made with love film. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I personally rated it at 91. So I'm right there with cool. you in the, in the love for it. It's a great film. Um, today, here for this. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thanks for, thanks for giving us some insight on that. Uh, today on your guys' pod, you talked about Rounders a little bit. It sounded like oh, yeah. neither of your co-hosts knew about Rounders, but I'm a big Rounders guy. Oh, um, yeah? Yeah, I love that movie. I love the poker in that movie because every hand is just like fire. Every hand's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I kind of touched on it, but like, that I think of that one, and then I think of Casino Royale, the yep. James Bond one. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, I've played poker. I maybe get like a high card queen, and that's it. And everyone's <laughs> pulling like a full house every damn hand. It's like, okay, that's really cool. But it's just poker's cool in movies. I hadn't heard of it, so I saw it on Netflix like two weeks ago and just watched it on a whim. So uh, yeah, it's, there's a fan out there in yourself. It's on Netflix, so uh, any listeners that are interested in, in a fun poker movie, definitely check it out. Um, this week I watched Being John Malkovich. I don't oh, know. Yeah, Have you ever okay. heard of that? Yeah, but no, I've uh, seen it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I thought it was great, and obviously, it's 
focused on John Malkovich, but his performance as Teddy KGB in Rounders is much better in my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. He's so clutch in that movie. It's super yeah, funny. It's funny. With he's the accent right. and everything. Yeah, it's really good. I love John Malkovich when he's like the fourth most important person in the movie because he's <laughs> yeah, yeah. number one. When he's like the first guy, I'm like, all right, all right, start back, John. No, you're <laughs> but when he's when he's the, the Russian mobster in it for 12 minutes, he's perfect. So yeah, yeah I agree. Couldn't, couldn't agree more with you on that. All right, so that's just two fun things to hit on before we get into our real conversation today, and that's the Stanley Kubrick movie, Eyes Wide Shut. Um, sounds like you're a big fan of this movie. Um, can you give us, well, let me, let me just give a little bit of a synopsis or an, an intro on what this movie's all about. This movie stars Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman uh, back in 1999 when they were married, and uh, Nicole Kidman expresses to Tom Cruise in their, in their normal sort of middle-class marriage that she's had some some sexual fantasies about other men, specifically one instance that she goes into a lot of detail with him. And uh, after that, he kind of goes on this two-day journey where he's just trying to find different sexual situations and kind of explore his sexuality a little bit. Um, he ends up going to like this weird sex library where there's like an orgy going on maybe yeah. maybe not the illuminati i don't know hard to tell everyone's in masks everyone's naked um and it just kind of follows these these two people in their relationship and mostly just tom cruise on his two-day journey can you can you speak a little bit to that tell us tell us a little bit why you like it yeah i think i think it's an interesting film like i don't <laughs> um i didn't end it and be like wow i i i like that and i like how i feel after watching that it's definitely not <laughs> The Muppets. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it's it's really, I don't know, I think it's interesting. It caused me to think a lot and kind of take my own meetings. I had a friend um, <laughs> who was getting, so the reason we watched it, he um, he was getting married in May originally. We dated this girl for a while. So he was planning his bachelor party in April. And that fell through due to coronavirus. We we're going to go to Scottsdale, Arizona for a weekend, which I guess, yeah. I think there's like a casino <laughs> nearby or something. A reservation. I don't know. And I was like, oh, it's fun. Like in April, we had a pool at the, the house we were renting. I'm like, it'll be fun. Obviously, all got canceled. And so <laughs> he loves Eyes Wide Shut. So we watched it together, like four or five of us, just on our different computers, different houses, just texting the whole time about it. So that's how it first came about. And so he had it. He really enjoyed it. So we talked a lot texting after it. And so that mm -hmm. kind of let me see into it a bit more and um, just kind of a little bit. Uh, he's, he's always talking about its relevancy because of um potential you know like real life applications of like jeffrey epstein and his uh yeah. kind of everything and i don't want to get to an epstein truther pod right here <laughs> um but sure, yeah he just, that, it was just <laughs> yeah. like he's just like look you can see like and um connecting with stanley kubrick's experience and him leaving you know american living in england and about yeah. how you know there's so much that he saw and was a part of and probably you know never talked about in the hollywood industry um, and about what he, the people he'd brush shoulders with. So I get the, I kind of, I agree with like the Cruz Kidman underlying aspect of it. I don't like that they were married in real life. I wish they just cast one or the other differently. Cause I, think right. that, I agree. It adds a weird layer to it. Cause I feel bad, but like Kidman's portion of this movie, she's not in a lot either, but like her kind of connection is one that, that I view a bit, um, like secondary status in like the, in like the main plot points that I take away, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't for sure. That, but um, I just wish, yeah, I agree. I wish they weren't married because apparently Kubrick was like an ass on set as well, forced them to do a lot, a lot of scenes and had to have them watch each other like naked and, and it just made them uncomfortable and hurt their marriage. I'm like, yeah, I hate that. So I should probably be, I should probably have that affect my rating more. <laughs> but just um, the elements, I do think that the two points I do like, I think a small bit of it may have been um, somewhat of a takedown not a huge takedown, but kind of an analysis of toxic masculinity and yeah. what men view their role as within sexuality is that Nicole Kidman talks about um, one man that she had, you know, an intense crush or longing for, and then the sexual dream she had, which, you know, she can't control or whatever. Um, it was a very vivid description, but regardless of that stuff, <laughs> yeah, no yeah, then Tom Cruise decides, well, like, well, if you're going to not cheat on me, but have a dream and think one dude at the resort's hot, I'm going to go to sex parties and just like the complete imbalance of what, you know, men can view themselves as sexually that they get um, For sure. you know, to be the higher status. And 
And then just kind of the, the next level of, you know, we see Tom Cruise's character, the good doctor. He's rich in the movie, right? He's definitely yeah, rich. Yeah. He's not wealthy he's not next level he goes to the upper first middle party. class right yeah he goes upper to the middle class yeah he goes to the first party and he's there and he's popular and cool um but when he goes to the other party he's a, a nothing he's not supposed to be there he shows up in a taxi he doesn't have the costume he's gonna go buy that i mean no matter what he does he will never be able to crush and, and and infiltrate the upper wealthy class and they can do whatever they want they can have they can cover up possible murders was that woman killed or not we don't know they can do whatever they want sexually. They can buy whatever they want. They can have that power over someone like Tom Cruise, no matter what he tries to do, and just like kind of peeking into that world. And I think that's kind of what Stanley was kind of trying to go for. It's unfortunate he died a few days after the, the final cut was made. Right. Uh, and there's rumors about like he, some edits were changed, but his daughter's kind of dispelled that. But I would have liked to hear more of his commentary, obviously, on it as it came out and people saw it. But I just kind of enjoy that. I'm always down for a takedown of the of the wealthy class a little bit and kind of pull back the layers. So <laughs> yeah, that's just sure. why I kind of enjoyed about it. I'm like, yeah, those horrible wealthy people having sex cults. I hate them. That's why I like the movie. That's really it. So that was <laughs> okay. long with it. I'm sorry, but um, that's a little bit of what the, the stuff that I did enjoy from the film. And, nope, and that's kind of how um, I don't know if you're going to get into this, but kind of how the two parties mirrored each other. Yeah, I, w I was going to talk yeah, about that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll kick it over to you then. So let me just give the, the preface of, of my movie experience with this movie. The first time I watched it was two years ago. And I finished the movie and I was like, I don't understand what happened. Yep. But it, I usually love movies like that. You know, I love movies like um, The Lighthouse or Enemy. But like the lighthouse has a mermaid come in at one point and there's like some clearly weird psychological stuff going on. Enemy has these giant spiders crawling through the town. So after coming out of those movies, I'm like, hey, I need to know what that meant. Like, obviously that was a symbol for something or that had a deeper meaning. But after I watched Eyes Wide Shut the first time, I didn't think like there's got to be a deeper meaning to this. I was just like, okay, I don't understand. Why was that something that I needed to watch? Like, I don't, I don't get it. And so I think it just went over my head a little bit. Now, watching it the second time, I, I kind of could pick up on a few things here and there. I was like, okay, I see the mirrors um, of the two parties. I see the mirrors that are obviously like, um, that's a big motif throughout the movie is, is uh, Nicole Kidman's character looking in the mirror at herself. That's a big thing. So I kind of picked up on that stuff. But then I did the full deep dive just last night of, you know, really diving in. I went into Reddit. I went into YouTube. Oh, yeah. I was watching all the videos. And I see like the ideas that are brought up by the movie. And I agree with you that I wish that Kubrick could have kind of spoken a little bit to those things and told us mm -hmm. what he meant. Um, but unfortunately with his, uh, the time, the untimely death, um, he wasn't able to tell us that stuff. But for me, I like the ideas better than I like the actual movie. Like when I yeah. watched the movie, Nicole Kidman is in a different movie than Tom Cruise. All of her acting yeah. scenes, I'm like, I don't know what she's doing. Like, it just doesn't fit the mood that Tom Cruise, since he's kind of the main character, they're just not in the same movie. And that's hard for me to like, it, it took me out every time Nicole Kidman tried to, tried to say something or went for a monologue. I was like, I, I, don't, I don't get it. Now, that being said, um, like you were talking about with the toxic masculinity, this is a really good movie that shows the female gaze. Um, obviously yeah. we have like, we have the male gaze is what we have in everything, you know, movies like Transformers where mm -hmm. Megan Fox is just, objectified and sexualized the entire movie yeah. that's that's how most movies are honestly but um eyes wide shut kind of shows hey actually men aren't the only ones that have fantasies about mm -hmm. you know other women or they're not the ones that they're not the only ones that have desires for strangers yeah. or, or cheaters or whatever women have those feelings too and so i actually think it's really important that kubrick was trying to touch on those things and show the female gaze a little bit show a few feminine sexuality because i think that's super super important but like i said i just don't think that it like makes that clear enough or that's not like yeah. the point of the movie and so you have to like watch six youtube videos to figure that yeah. out and yeah that's a little bit frustrating for me i I, I would agree with that i think it's something that yeah the ideas and, and the stuff behind it you're like okay yeah the themes work but then i don't really want to watch that movie again <laughs> so right I yeah <laughs> if it was if it was connected more maybe it could be uh more rewatchable as compared to other Kubrick films or something so um I do think there is a lot that's trying to be said and that comes out and, and that and I think there's Kubrick has built 
a lot of foundations of stuff, but I, I do agree that, that maybe the full building doesn't really work. Right. I think the, the mirroring of the parties is maybe the coolest part in the movie, yeah. besides the female gaze part that I already brought up. Um, just when they go to that party at the very beginning, like you said, they're kind of the cool people at the party. Tom Cruise has two girls on each, or one girl on each arm, and uh, Nicole Kidman's picking up this older European man. You know, he's got a lot of sex appeal. They're really cool there, but uh, it's notable that Nicole Kidman says, do you know anyone here? And Tom Cruise kind of looks around at everyone's faces and says, not a soul. So then when he goes to the party later, everyone's in masks, but it's the Mm -hmm. same thing. He doesn't know anyone that's there, but it feels so different because he's the one that's being exploited at the second party where, you know, he's the one that has to take off his mask and face that humiliation. Whereas at the other party, he was the cool guy. He's the doctor. He's there with everyone looking at him in a good way. So I thought that like the juxtaposition between those parties was really cool. Yeah. I did. I I do like enjoy that. And I kind of saw Ziegler's position as as potentially kind of, he was at both of them and how he was um, when it first kind of hit me was when he was like tapping the, the pool ball on the table. Oh yeah. The double tap. He would would hit it twice. And I was like, wait, they were tapping the cane at the other party. Wait. And so like then saw that and then like reading a lot more, I'm like, okay, yeah, there's a lot of like kind of the central red of the billiards table, all that different kind of stuff. So I thought the mirroring was, I, don't know, I did think it was cool, but yeah, it's it's not a perfect movie, and it's got a lot to that it wants to say, but it's not something you leave with a a clear cut. I don't know, scroll the wisdom, a sentence takeaway. You know, you got to talk about it like this, and you got to. I was texting my friend, and even then, like, I don't know if I agree with all the interpretations. Even when I read online, I'm like, yeah, right. that's kind of a stretch, but <laughs> sure, I can see how you did that. Like there's so much analysis of the last scene with when they're at the toy shop. Oh and, yeah, like, I saw his daughter that. leaves, and I'm like, okay, maybe, but I don't, I don't really want to get into it. Like that's too much. You guys are, I don't know, because I think Kubrick is a great filmmaker, and he adds a lot of layers. But then like sometimes, like sometimes a toy shop's a toy shop. I don't know. There's probably more to it, and I'm just being facetious and being reductive. But <laughs> um, sometimes it's like I feel like it's a movie that people want to give so much ideology and thematic elements too when i'm like i think there's a lot i like to just take the two or three that i think are important relevant and understandable and great then i move on you know it just feels like some people are going like all right calm down they're super fans (laughs) yeah i agree with you on that i after the second view i I bumped it up 12 points so i bumped it up to an 80 out of 100 i feel like that's okay that fits it's 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 a sophisticated film yeah and after this pod i might bump mine down to like an 88 so (laughs) Yeah. We're going to call less in the middle. That it's sounds just, good. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that takes us to our next point, which is just, this is maybe going to be a little bit of a, a hot take from both of us, but where do, you, where do you sit on Tom Cruise? Uh, Scientology aside, we're going <laughs> to... Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, this is not a Scientology. It's just an accurate thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Tom Cruise has done some good things. <laughs> in his filmography choices. And then I think mm-hmm. he's found the lane he really enjoys and wants to just keep doing it. I don't mind. I think he does Mission Impossible movies really well. I Agreed. think they, I think they end up exactly what they want. I don't, did you see the news this week about him and Elon Musk doing a team up? <laughs> I saw that. I saw a tweet about that. Yeah. Oh my God. Um. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, what they're looking to film the first ever action feature film in space. I'm like, all right, sure. Give it a shot. You want to do that? That's fine. I don't know how the hell, you got to manage it, but that's just Tom Cruise. And you want to do, when I see the stunt work behind MI, when, MI movies and I see the cameraman jumping out of the planes with him and, and he flew with his own helicopter, that stuff's amazing. In more serious stuff, I could, I could take or leave it. It just depends. I know mm-hmm. you like a few of his films, right? You like, and you like yeah. Jerry Maguire, right? I love Jerry Maguire. I really like okay. Jerry Maguire. But he brings like this awesome Tom Cruise sports agent energy to that movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of similar yeah. to the energy that he brings to something like um, Mission Impossible or Edge of Tomorrow. Some of those movies, I really love those ones. Um, and I think he's great when he does that. But when he tries to be so serious, I just, I can't. It doesn't can't work do for that. you. No, it doesn't work for me. So you don't like him in Eyes Wide Shut? Is that a, or what do you feel? Not my favorite. Yeah. Okay. I think there was a couple moments in the movie. I mean, it's clear that Nicole Kidman is taller than Tom Cruise. <laughs> I, think he's, yeah. I think he's a whopping 5'7". Yeah. And I myself, my driver's license says I'm 5'10". Uh, if I wear high heels, I'm 5'9". I'm really 5'8", five, five, 
but I'm still taller than Tom Cruise. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but like, that means that all the directors have to put the camera down low so that they're shooting yeah. to make him look like he's taller, whatever. That's fine. I, I don't have anything against that, but the way that he kind of carries himself in Eyes Wide Shut is that he's like the most handsome, most amazing man ever. Yeah. You know, even though he does have a little bit of vulner- vulnerability in the movie, he, he kind of just carries that energy. And so it, it takes me out of it. When he goes to the, to the sex party, the sex cult place, mm-hmm. and the, goal is like, the girl that comes up to him is like three inches taller than him. And she like chooses him out of the other people that are masked. I'm just like, there's no way she chooses him. She yeah. can't see his face. She doesn't know he's Tom Cruise. Why would she choose him? Like he just, he's got a good doctorly aura to him. Come on, man. Yeah, like, I, I don't know. I just or maybe that's how they recognize him. Everyone else is like six foot and like who the hell is <laughs> like who's the guy that's my doctor? Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's fair. That's fair. That's I don't know. Totally I just, new. I think, what about um oh sorry, I'm cutting you off. No, you go ahead. You're good. What about because one of my favorite performances that I did watch recently was Magnolia. I think he's great in Magnolia. Oh, I think he's great in Magnolia because it's similar to Jerry Maguire. He's able to turn up yeah. that energy. And yeah. I think Paul Thomas Anderson was like, dude, turn it up. You're supposed to yeah. be this douchebag, misogynist, like just go all out. And he channels that energy really well into that character, I think. Yeah, I think that's kind of the raw, like, he he thinks he's the sexiest man on earth. It's perfect for the character he he plays Yep. in Magnolia. Is that you have to have, to play that character who really thinks that with a slick back hair and his whole persona, he thinks like, oh yeah, I'm definitely the ladies' man beyond ladies' man. Yeah, he that's a Tom Cruise role where he can just full in. I don't know if it's charisma. It's just, I don't know, energy. I don't, I'm trying to find a better word for it. Sexual energy is that he thinks he carries. Yeah. And not, not exactly charismatic, but just a Red Bull of, I don't know, <laughs> monster energy. I don't know. Something like <laughs> yeah, no, that. No, that's I know what, what it is to me. That's so I think he's good in that. Other stuff, like some of his other stuff, like Last Samurai, it's like, all right, it's fine. I'm, I'm trying to look through his filmography for other serious movies that I don't really care for. But I mean, the past 10 years, he's really just been action films. He just he's like, this is what I want to do. I want to do Jack yeah. Preacher. I want to do Oblivion. I want to do Edge of Tomorrow, Mission Possibles, a horrible mummy movie. Great. <laughs> and all credit to him for finding finding what he likes to do and, and yeah. doing it. I I appreciate that. But yeah, I just think some of the more serious roles don't quite land for me. I would like to meet someone who says Tom Cruise is my favorite actor. Because that's the one I'm like, I'm fine with Tom Cruise, but I, I would never come close to saying he's someone who's like work is one of my number one. I'd like to see the people. It might just be guys who love Mission Possible movies and stuff like that. But <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I don't, so. I don't know who whose favorite actor would be Tom Cruise. I don't know who that would be. I can't I can't imagine the person. Yeah. Well, if you're if you're out there, DM us or whatever. Slide into the DMs and, and let us know. Um moving on from Tom Cruise and just going back to Kubrick a little bit. Um, I wanted to ask just what are your maybe we can go back and forth one one for one yeah. of our favorite I mean, Kubrick didn't make very many movies. No. Uh, looking back at this, his filmography, he only has about, what, eight or nine um, total Yeah, that you would films. remember. Yeah, that I can think of off the top of my head. So um, um, let's just go ahead and do our top three. Let's just go one for one, and, and you can go ahead and start with, with your number okay. three. This and we'll, is we'll count a, up to one. I feel like an ass. Uh, <laughs> I've seen three Stanley Kubrick <laughs> 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 no, no, well, no, I've seen four now. I've seen four. I've seen four. Okay, yeah, okay, I we'll haven't just, seen. Just leave one out, one, and then we'll go. <laughs> yeah. Well, the number one, the one I'm going to leave out, is probably eyes wide shut. So I don't. Yeah, know. okay. <laughs> it's um, not going to make my list either, so I get that. My number one, my favorite, is going to be Doctor Strangelove. Mm. Um, I love it. I think it's funny. I think it's, I think it's biting. I think it's enjoyable. Um, I haven't watched it for a couple of years, but I did love it. Um, you know, I want that's why it's on my list to rewatch this year, especially after this conversation. But I did love Doctor Strangelove or how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. I think it's interesting and funny and, and, and biting. And I said all that already, but yeah, Dr. Strangelove probably be my number one. Awesome. Yeah. I talked about Dr. Strangelove on this pod last, last week. Um, okay. Just as a little recommendation, Peter Sellers in that movie is just incredible. Oh yeah. Uh, he bag, he's man. So funny. He's so funny. So uh, you heard it here. That's Blake's number one. Uh, if you didn't check it out after my recommendation last week, check it out now. That's going to be, that's my number two. Uh, my okay. number one is The Shining. Okay. Uh, I think it's um, I think it's Jack Nicholson's best performance, in my opinion. I mean, Chinatown's great. Yeah. Uh, I like him as a Joker. 
he's he's good in a lot of stuff, but um, it's my it's my favorite, Jack Nicholson. So I think I'd agree. I think I think that's his number one as well for his piece. Uh, this is fun. Shining is my number two. <laughs> so okay. we're just yeah. So just we're just back, back and forth, forth right there. I yep. imagine we might have the same number three. We'll see. Unless you're a diehard Spartacus fan, you might be. <laughs> no, um, not me. <laughs> but um, yeah, I really like The Shining. It's scary, and that's that's high praise for me because I am a scaredy cat. I I don't like horror films that much, and so to watch The Shining and not only like make it through and enjoy it, it's it's a huge compliment. So um, it's Shining is it's hugely influential and and just kind of sets so much tones for for horror after. I just love it so. Uh, side note: Did you see the Shining sequel that came out? I did out? not see Doctor Sleep. No, Doctor Sleep. Uh, I want I like to. It. Ewan McGregor's I, good. He, he, I love. I love McGregor. I've seen some. I think I've seen like mostly praise, and then a couple people be like, "Oh, I didn't like it." So, I I got to see it for myself. I thought it was a perfectly decent movie. Like I just <laughs> I just enjoyed it. I was like, "All right, yeah, I'm glad I came here. I had some popcorn. I had a I had a cherry coke. It was great." So, um, go ahead. What's the number three? Uh, two thousand one Space Odyssey. Yeah, that's the one. All right. Go ahead. Yeah. And speak on it, my friend. I, I actually thought this is the, I saw it for the first time in eighth grade. Our science teacher showed it to us, mm-hmm. which, like, and looking back, I'm like, cool as hell, man. Except I did not like Mr. Helfer. So, uh, <laughs> mixed bag there. Really cool to show us, <laughs> like, a, a, an acclaimed film that us 14 year olds would not have seen otherwise. Not many ninth graders or eighth graders or whatever in, in South Logan, Cache Valley, were watching Stanley Kubrick films. So, really cool to watch it and I watched it again as an adult and it's just it's just interesting and it's just it just makes you ponder about so many things about mm-hmm. about man about our existence about what matters about intelligence about our future I don't know it's just it's a really yeah. interesting and, and engrossing film and it, it's it's kind of I don't want to describe it as slow but I think some other people would just to it's dunk a, on I other people a, I think it's a slow yeah. burn a little bit yeah, yeah. it's it, yeah. it takes its time and it's really only like you know a couple characters it's a yeah. very small kind of bottle episode almost. Um, and, but it still just, it engrosses, it captivates. And it just, I don't know, I like that. I like that kind of the pacing of those 60s, 70s movies. Another reason I, I love Aliens, one of my favorite movies. Yeah, um, yeah. It just is a slow build that it takes its time. But usually when people say slow, sometimes they'll say it in like a derogatory sense. It's just not going anywhere. 2001 is going somewhere the whole time. It's not wasting and just kicking around. It, it has points that it's, you know, it's doing, and but it's, it doesn't ever feel slow to me, if that makes sense. Right. Slow is like Ad Astra. That that was like yeah, a slow, yeah. boring movie. You know, like I, went, I, I fell asleep like multiple times during Ad Astra. I went in there trying to be a film connoisseur and like really enjoy it. And I was just bored. Yeah. But uh, 2001 is not like that. It's, it's just like yeah. a – it's interesting. It keeps you engaged throughout. Um, like you said, it explores mankind and evolution and kind of what's next. And it's, it was way ahead of its time in 1968. Like, I, I just feel like it, it truly is a masterpiece of film. Yeah. And, and I think that, like, even if you're not a movie, even if you're not a cinephile, um, you can enjoy 2001 A Space Odyssey. And you can see how it's changed how movies are made. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty much any movie that takes place in space now, uh, you can be like, oh, that's something that they, that's an homage to 2001, or that's something that they learned from that, you know, something that they took from that, so. Um. Yeah, Kubrick made some bangers. He did. He and uh, he only made a few of them. He's like, I'm just gonna make good movies. Hope you guys don't mind. <laughs> like, I'll just do 30 years of, of good flicks. People talk about After I'm Dead for 20 years. All right. Yeah, it's a way to live, man. Absolutely. I mean, it's iconic. Well, Blake, thanks for coming on here and talking to me about course, Eyes man. Wide Shut, Kubrick, thanks Muppets. For all the important things. The, the similar films. Yeah, yeah, same genres. Very close. <laughs> Very close. I would love to see a Stanley Kubrick uh, Muppets film. I would die to have seen that. I know. If you could bring uh, Kubrick back to make one movie, would it be The Muppets? Is that what you're going for? Yeah, it'd be The Muppets. Exactly. <laughs> it'd be Eyes Wide Shut with every character's a Muppet except for Tom Cruise. I'd love it. And they're all the same height as him. Except Patrick Mahomes voicing Kermit. Is yes. That... Yeah, yeah. That'd be better. <laughs> all right. All right, man. Good to have you hey, on. Thanks, yeah, thanks appreciate it. Of course. We'll have Take you on care, again. Man. All right. Um, would love to. It's always a pleasure to have great guests come on here, and we're grateful that <laughs> we're grateful. Sounds like I'm like saying a prayer. Uh, we're happy that Blake came on and uh, was a great guest on our pod today. Um, hopefully, we'll have him back to talk more. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. 
Uh, we're just going to take a quick break here, and then I'm just going to do a, a real short review of the Netflix movie, the half of it. Um, so back in 30 seconds. Okay, well, if you're still listening at this point, then you really must be a true fan of this podcast, and I can't thank you enough. Um, I just want to quickly close with uh, a small review of the new Netflix movie, The Half of It. Um, Honestly, I was really looking forward to this movie. I know that sounds a little bit weird. Uh, I'm sure that most people haven't really heard of it, but it's the story of a young Asian-American girl named Ellie Chu who is a nerd and doesn't really stand out um, at her school, and she is hired by a boy in her year to write love letters to a girl that he has a crush on because he feels like he cannot adequately express himself and adequately adequately express his feelings for this other girl so because Ellie Chu's father um is a first generation immigrant and has trouble with English he is out of work and they need the money so Ellie decides to take the money and start writing these letters eventually she starts to have feelings for the girl that she is writing to and most most of it is done over texting so there's a lot of like the text bubbles that they do in the movie going back and forth and a lot of it is just a lot of the dialogue in the movie is just like either you reading the screen of the text that they're sending back and forth or just them reading the letters that they've written to each other so it gets pretty wordy um when they do that I think the reason that I was looking forward to this movie so much is that I really do love movies that are set in high school. I think of some of the classics like Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller's Day Off and, you know, Pretty in Pink. Even uh, movies that are more close to right now, like Scott Pilgrim vs. the World or Juno. Um, all these movies I, I really enjoy. And I think that there's something that's, like, cool about the characters that are portrayed in those movies, like, especially the John Hughes movies, Breakfast Club, um, Pretty in Pink, and... Uh, Ferris Bueller to be specific like in in Ferris Bueller Ferris is just the coolest kid really it's just about that Ferris is cool and you just want to hang out with Ferris or in Breakfast Club like each of the kids has their own things but it's like a fun hang to be with all of them Um, I think what this movie kind of was trying to do was to normalize the fact that actually most high, high schoolers are just normal like Ellie Chu is just a normal girl yeah she's smart and she's definitely a really good writer and a really good reader but it's it's not like a fictional character that is completely unattainable it's just a lot more grounded than the other characters that i mentioned before while i really appreciate this and understand what um the filmmakers were going for it's just not quite as engaging or interesting for me as a viewer to watch this movie especially with the way that they handle just the dialogue and the texting back and forth in the movie I don't know. And I I think it's obviously really cool that part of this is about her figuring out her sexuality and kind of exploring that while she's falling in love with the girl. Um, It's good to see a little bit of LGBTQ plus representation um, in Netflix movies. I'm glad that we're seeing that as well as this is a movie that's made by um, an Asian American woman. So starring an Asian American woman. So that's it's also really good to see that representation again. But overall, just like the movie doesn't work as well as I hoped it would and um I mean like I already said that it's just very wordy and like really dialogue heavy and so I found it kind of hard to be zoned in all the time because it's not extremely interesting and so um when it's just like you have to sit there fully engaged reading the text that they send back and forth I found myself kind of like looking away or getting distracted by my phone or, or, you know, looking down at something and being like, oh, shoot, I missed that piece of dialogue. I missed that text. I'm not sure what they said. And so it was just a little bit hard to stay fully engaged watching this movie. Overall, I appreciated the representation and I appreciated kind of normalizing the fact that most of us are actually just normal and most of us, you know, aren't as cool as some of those fictional characters that we've seen in, in these kind of movies before. And so, um... There were definitely aspects of it that I liked, and I thought that the ending was really sweet. This movie, for me, lands it right at a 71 out of 100. It's right in the low uh, kettle corn range, and I would give this just a light recommendation. Um, If you're looking for something 
maybe to watch while you do something else, uh, maybe while you're working on another project or doing embroidery or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's a good time and uh, would give it a recommendation. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast. My name is Jeffrey Spock. Please remember, I look exactly like Roger Federov and I'm a Muppet of a Man. We'll catch up with you next week. 